Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple. To make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. I'll be one of my friends just trying to make us money. Look, my job is not just to entertain, but to educate and do some teaching tonight. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at you, Kramer. If you come at the king, you best not miss. That's right. This market's taking its cue from the wire. You've got all these Tentorian hedge fund billionaires who are eager to shoot at the great growth stocks of this era, especially, of course, the Nasdaq games. They come on air and blast these stocks, then look like morons when the high flyers come roaring back a few days later. Except they get away with it. They're billionaires, and they don't come on again until the next downturn. We saw the final step of this process play out again today. Dow gaining 179 points. That's be advancing 0.72%. Nasdaq jumping 1%. See, it's a three-step process that we go through, and we've gone through this since probably about 2009. Uh, we got all three steps in one week. First, you get some sort of red-hot inflation number, right? And that sends bond yields soaring. That's the bond market screaming at the Fed's behind the curve and needs to tighten immediately. Then we get some contrary information after that comes out, such as commodity prices that actually go down after a commodity price index that says things are hot. Sure, inflation was awful last month, but these price declines suggest that perhaps October was the peak. That's contrary to those who are betting against things. I bring this up because there are so many hedge fund managers out there that are endlessly shorting stocks. In many cases, their charge require them to be up as much as up to 50% short, which means they always have to find creative ways to bet against something, even if they're not confident. So let's think about that, what happened this week. Remember, they, they, uh, these funds got uh, hit with an ugly CPI number. All those commentators came out fantasizing, fantasizing about how Jay Powell will watch CNBC and therefore come out and say, we need to call an emergency Fed meeting, slam the brakes in the economy. That leads tons of hedge funds to short the newer growth stocks because they seem most vulnerable. Here, I'm talking about the Airbnbs and the DoorDashes, along with the more expensive semiconductor names. And of course, Fang. In football, what happens next is called a trap game, meaning an upcoming game that you aren't even worried about winning because the odds are so in your favor. Then the other team puts on a spirited contest and somehow wins or at least beats the point spread. And everyone who bet against them is crushed. And that's what happened that drove stocks up at the end of the week. It was the short sellers covering. They got beaten in the trap game. Everything was supposed to go their way simply didn't occur. They wanted more bad news uh, on the inflation front after the CPI. They didn't get it. Instead, the price of oil started crumbling. And that endangers the whole thesis. So you end up with days like today where the super high growth stocks can blossom, if not explode higher, because the shorts are on the run. and They're trying to close out the positions for the weekend. As I told you earlier this week, it's the nature of the game. Once you understand how it works, you can try to profit from it. Remember, you get some bad news. uh, Bonds move. Guys come on TV, tell you to get out. You short. And then there's no follow through. And then you're stung. 
trap game. With that in mind, with the trap game in mind, now let's go over to our game plan for next week. First, we want to come in on Monday, and we want to see, I just mentioned this, the West Texas Intermediate crude down to 78 from 80. That would be a sign that the inflation story really is transitory. That would be a win for J-PAL. I think it's a real possibility. I was talking about oil with my friend Rusty Brazil of RBN Energy, my favorite energy expert. He's on quite a bit. And he's got of the opinion that the $100 oil thesis from not long ago has really evaporated. Sure, the speculators will be back on any spike up, but we're finally seeing more production from the Permian Basin. That can keep a lid on prices. Wouldn't it be something if the thing that drove the CPI up the most peaked? I think it did. If you're searching for inflation, though, you're going to find it with Tyson Foods, which, which uh, reports Monday morning. We know food inflation is hitting everyone hard. Tyson will, will hurt the bull case for certain. Uh, they always do. Then after the close, we go uh, get the results from Lucid Group. That's that luxury electric vehicle maker, which might be due for a revaluation after Rivian's monster move this week. You know what? We're going to be in San Francisco next week where we hope to catch a glimpse of Lucid's car. I think this is one of the handful of companies that's ushering in the twilight of the internal combustion engine, in this case, in the luxury vehicle. You know I like Tesla and I like Rivian, but given the state of the market, I'm betting any of them can work here, including the one we see, Lucid. Tuesday, oh boy, behemoth. We hear from Walmart and Home Depot. I'm getting signals from my charters friends that Walmart stock's a guarner, that it's got an ugly double top, top brewing. As someone who owns it for my travel trust, I take in every clue, both technical and the fundamental, uh, even as I think Walmart's doing fine. No, it's not Costco, which has membership fees to fall back on. And it's not like Target with its tremendous house brands. By the way, Target reports on Wednesday. I think it's going to be good. Still, 200 million people visit Walmart every week. And so much of the retail is on fire that i got to feel that even the flame will catch to there. Now, uh, as for Home Depot, this one's got a pattern. And you got to understand this, okay? It, they reported, say, 6 usually like 6 o'clock in 30 seconds or 6.01. And it tends to open up on earnings news. And then plunge later in the day when they listen to conference call. If you don't already own it, I recommend waiting for the typical post-quarter sell-off. It's getting nauseating, but be aware of it. If Home Depot does get hit again, though, I got an alternative plan because it can probably drag down Lowe's, L-O-W. They don't trade as much together anymore. That's your chance to pounce on Lowe's, L-O-W. Lowe's is now the better operator, and that's thanks to CEO Marvin Ellison's incredible turnaround efforts. We get results from Lowe's on Wednesday morning. I'll bet they deliver a fine quarter with a strong holiday forecast. So if Home Depot goes down, you can buy some Lowe's. Travel Trust has positions in two major companies that report Wednesday night, Cisco and NVIDIA. Cisco is now the definition of what I call just a cheap tech stock. We'll be following it closely to see how its transition to more of a subscription-based service provider is going. Higher margins. I expect good things. NVIDIA's got a tough act to follow itself. Stock's already more than doubled this year, so the expectations are high. Unfortunately, it's got a nasty habit of jumping up and then pirouetting down when someone finds some line in a quarter that's a little bit off. And you can tell it's going to happen. Someone downgraded the stock today, fearing uh, elevated uh, expectations. Now, this went so deep into next week that you'll have to check your investing club boldens to see what we're thinking. We do a deep dive into all the charitable trust stocks when they report. Why do I mention this? Because it would make you better. OK, Thursday morning, we hear from two retailers that I both like. And one of them is a noodle like, which is Kohl's. I started liking it some activist action there. And then Macy's, which I've liked all the way down and then up. And that's not really distinguished me other than the fact that I think Jeff is doing a good job. As I keep telling you, I love retail right now because the consumer is so strong that it can trump any worries about a lack of inventory that the media teams just endlessly focus on. What matters is there are very few promotions going on. That's far more important than the port congestion story. They can sell almost everything at full price that they have. And that sends their stocks higher. Port congestion. Do you know how many stores we have? Yes, twice as many as we need. So if you can't
can't find something in one. Well, you go to the other. After the close Thursday, there are a ton of reports from some very good companies. There's Applied Materials. Semiconductor Capital Equipment Maker has a great deal to crow about. Applied Materials tends to trade with Micron, the big commodity uh, chip maker. And Micron's been red hot all week. No, no one's talking about it except for me. But if you look at this, so many people downgraded at 68, 69. It's pathetic. We also hear from Intuit. That's the small business owner's best friend. This software company has been consistently fabulous. It will be fabulous again. That's what they do. They report fabulous numbers. Then there's Workday, the cloud-based human capital and actual uh, capital management software play. I think Workday's last acquisition is just crushing it. That last quarter was amazing for them. And then last but not least, a lot of last there, Palo Alto Networks reports. And with so many people still working from home, I think this is the golden age for cybersecurity companies that are uh, not necessarily all native uh, uh, cloud. Now, the last few quarters of Palo Alto and the Cachorro have been extraordinary. You know what? You're going to get another one. Finally comes Friday, which is Foot Locker Day. When you go back to Nike's most recent quarter, there were a couple of things we didn't like, especially the manufacturing problems that slowed down in China. But the U.S., Nike's on fire. By the way, Nike stock never looked back after people stopped thinking about China. Now, this is a fantastic setup for a mall-based shoe store, and there you are with Foot Locker. If they can't blow it out in this environment, though, I don't know when they can, and I will no longer speak of them, even though they're the only company that reports on Friday. I'll, I will make up a company rather than talk to them if they blow this quarter. That, that's not true, but you know what I'm saying. The bottom line. Look for a week where the shorts will still be trapped. The consumer's robust and tech falters, if only because it's run so much. But therein lies the opportunity is to wait for the faltering. A lot of these stocks have run too much. And if I tell you to buy them Monday, then I can see on my mentions columns, people say, there goes Kramer again. But I actually have a guy who reads that now because I'm tired and my feelings got hurt. No, you couldn't hurt my feelings. Not what I've been through. Anyway, as we continue to honor veterans and active service members this week, let's take some more special video questions from cadets at the Military Academy at West Point. And we salute them. Mark in Massachusetts. Mark. Hey, Jim. This is Cadet Mark Fitzpatrick from Medfield, Massachusetts. My question is, with airline passengers returning to pre-pandemic levels, what's your outlook on the airline industry? What a great question. A lot of people are looking at it. And I know, for instance, I'm flying out to San Francisco and I hear that, look, the airports are mobbed. The stocks have come down a little bit. I am a believer in United. Why United? Because we are going to have worldwide travel soon. And United's going to really just do well. Although I cannot recommend the airlines until oil starts going down because they do have some raw costs that I don't like. And uh, let's go to John in Illinois. John. Hi, Jim. I'm John Ellisher from Palatine, Illinois. My question is, do you think GM and Ford have a chance of catching up with Tesla's electric vehicles within the next five to seven years? Um, uh, John, I think that Ford Motor is uh, run by Jim Farley, and you'll understand this. I think he has a get Elon squad at Ford. I think that they just will not stop. They want to bury Musk. I think they're sick of his of his ridiculous arrogance and sick of the fact the way he carries himself. It made a big joke of us who voted for one sort of tax plan this weekend. It was basically a North Korean election. And I think that Ford will catch up because spite is a powerful motivator, as is revenge and all sorts of other things that I have in my head that I don't use anymore. Let's go to David in Alaska, please. David. Hey, Jim. This is David Huang from Fairbanks, Alaska. With record low interest rates, how will this affect stocks in the long term? 
Well, okay, this, look, this is just a classic situation. We have low rates. Why are they low rates? Because there's not enough money demand, not because the Fed's keeping it down. There's just not. I mean, we're issuing like trillions of dollars of bonds. There's just not a lot of demand. And why is there not a lot of demand this time? Because everybody's got cash. The balance sheets of America are great, which means there's going to be construction, which means every time this market gets hit, we're going to have to look at it as an opportunity for the industrials and for the techs. And I like these questions because did you notice that there's not a lot of, they're not dripping with cynicism? My life trips with cynicism, so it's nice to come out here and have a kind of an optimistic view. Now, if you're looking for opportunity in this market, I want you, uh, wait, why don't you wait for a week, okay? Wait for the week where the shorts are still trapped. Let them come in and cover, and then the stocks come back down because we missed the initial part of this rally, and then you will pounce. Now, on Mad Money tonight, Duolingo, new name, is helping millions across the world learn new languages. So could the stock sweet talk its way in your portfolio? Hey, I'm checking in with the CEO of the newly listed company, and they do make. They actually charge. You may not know that. And the market's recent pullback from highs has been a good reminder to always have a diversified portfolio to handle whatever the market throws you at. So you know we're going to have to play in my diversified. And by the way, American Logic Power has its sights set on transitioning towards renewable energy sources, where at least it's sunny enough, that kind of thing. And I'm hearing more about the company's plans from a very high-yielding company, by the way, from the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's match engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's hard to keep track of all these newly public companies in a year when we've had hundreds of IPOs, hundreds more SPAC mergers. I mean, what the heck? But you know what? Some of them do stand out. I, I like this alpha Duolingo, the insanely popular language learning app, came public in July. Now, here's a company that offers courses in 40 different languages. They got an app that's been downloaded more than a half a million times. 42 million monthly active users in their most recent quarter. Roughly 10 million people using the service a on a daily basis, most popular 
Apple and the App Store, all this stuff. But Duolingo stock has been a real roller coaster. After coming public at 102 in July, shot up to 205 in mid-September in the wake of uh, a terrific quarter. Then we had a growth meltdown, remember, in late September, and that took Duolingo back down to the 140s. Been bounced around that level ever since. Uh, in the 180s, 140s, 140s, 180s. Earlier this week, Duolingo reported its second quarter as a publicly traded company. Once again, they knocked it out of the park. Get this, almost 60% bookings growth. Even better, they nearly broke even on an adjusted EBITDA basis. However, the stock only rebounded 2% yesterday. I'm wondering if this isn't just a classic buying opportunity. So we got to take a closer look with a new guest on the show, and his name is Dr. Luis Von Ahn, and he is the co-founder and CEO of Duolingo. Learn more about his company's story. Dr. Von Ahn, welcome to Mad Money. Uh, thank you for having me, Jim. Okay, so I've been studying your company, and I've decided it is a tech company that happens to uh, help you teach languages. It is not a language company. That we're, because there have been others of those, they never really got any valuation. Frankly, they got no love. Do you think I'm right? And is it because of your excellent background that perhaps this stands out as a new way to learn languages? Yeah, I think we really see ourselves as, a, as an engineering-driven company and also a product-driven company. I mean, I, I used to be a professor in computer science uh, at Carnegie Mellon University, and, and because of that, we really are a tech company. But we've been very, very fortunate. I mean, by now, we're, we're just the most popular way to learn languages in the world. Uh, and, and I think it, it has almost, you know, it has a lot to do with, with how, much, how, much, how much of a tech company we are. I think it's also important, and one of the reasons I wanted to phrase this tech company, is there are people, quite frankly, who are dead wrong, that view you as some sort of COVID situation. I think it's the opposite. I think there's going to be world travel. And when we're, we all know when we get to where we want to go, we, it's better to try to speak the language, even if it just shows you that you made the attempt. I mean, I use, I mean I'm in Italy. I, use, I transfer with Google Italian. It's not great. I'd rather speak Italian. It seems that you are a world opening play, if anything, to me. Oh, yeah, completely. And, and, you know, people learn languages for many reasons. It's not just for travel. I mean, we've been growing. So, we, you know, we launched Duolingo about 10 years ago, and we've been growing steadily since we launched. Uh, and the other thing to mention is, you know, we really haven't relied on marketing. Uh, there's, there's kind of many education companies that mainly rely on marketing. In our case, uh, our, our growth has been entirely through word of mouth. So we've been just growing every single year. We're bigger than the previous year. And then when COVID came, I mean, we did see an increase uh, just because people were kind of stuck at home. Uh, but by now, we've, you know, by now we're kind of back to uh, our usual pre-COVID growth rates. And, and we just keep growing and growing. And, and I think it just speaks to, to uh, you know, the many reasons why people want to learn a language. Um, you know, travel is one of them. There's others. Um, uh, you know, by the way, the, the largest language to learn on Duolingo is English. And, and English is, is just a very special language. In most countries in the world, knowledge of English can significantly increase your income potential. Uh, so people are actually learning to get a better job. Uh, but also people learn it because, you know, they, they, they have a significant other that speaks that language or, you know, uh, their, their grandmother or something like that. So there's just many reasons to learn a language. And, you know, for COVID, we just, we just saw it as, 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 as a, uh, uh, you know, tailwind for a while. But by now, we're back to our pre-COVID growth rates. Sure. Well, I, I think it's great. Now, I mentioned to a friend of mine who happened to be a, a, a substantial donor to uh, Carnegie Mellon. I said, what do you think of Duolingo? He goes, well, it's free. I don't know how they make any money. Now, I thought there's a, that's an interesting way to look at it, but you're actually free. You can be, take your, your courses free if you want to, but people seem to want to pay in the sense that you get them in, but they see what they like. Yeah, that's, that's something. And, you know, by the way, the fact that we're free is very important to our mission. Dueling was a very mission-driven company. When we started, uh, you know, we started because we wanted to, uh, or I in particular wanted to do, uh, wanted to make the best education in the world and make it universally available. I'm, I am from a pretty poor country. I'm from Guatemala. 
And I saw what happens, you know, the difference between uh, those who get an education and those who don't get an education, uh, you know, in poor countries, especially like Guatemala, if, if you get an education where, you, you know, you can you, you continue having a lot of money. And usually those who have money are the ones who get an education, right. whereas those who don't have very much money barely learn how to read and write. So the idea and when we launched Duolingo was that it was always going to be a free way to learn a language. And, and this is true today. You can learn on Duolingo as much as you want uh, without having to pay us. But of course, just like with Spotify, if you, um, you know, if you use the free version of Duolingo, you may have to see some ads at the end of every lesson. Uh, and then the other way we make money is if you don't want to see ads, you can also pay us to subscribe. And the subscription, what it does is it turns off the ads and it also gives you a few other perks. Um, but, you know, we, we make the majority of our money through subscription. And that has actually worked out pretty well. By now, we are the top grossing app in the education category. So out of all education apps, we make more money than, than them. And, and what makes fabulous. me the proudest is that in, in our case, you can learn entirely for free. And in the majority of other education apps, you have to pay them to learn. And yet we make more money than those. So I'm, I'm very proud of that. Well, also, the statistics are staggering about how better uh, comparisons can be odious, but let's just make it. How much better people do learning languages with Duolingo than they do at very expensive liberal arts school, colleges? Yeah, that's that's something that also we're, we're very proud of. I mean, we spend a lot of effort trying to make Duolingo as effective as possible. And, and the reason, by the way, it's so effective as teaching is because we have literally millions and millions of users and, and we use the data from all of these users to personalize how we teach. So even though uh, Duolingo looks, you know, kind of cutesy and gamified, um, uh, uh, whenever it's actually quite sophisticated. So whenever you're using Duolingo, we actually record everything you do. So we know every question that you got right, every question that you got wrong. And if you got it wrong, we know why you got it wrong. And we use all of that to build a model just for you. So you, we know whenever you start a lesson on Duolingo, we know that you in particular may not be very good at the past tense, for example. So we give you more past tense exercises. And because of this, um, uh, you know, we just did a little, uh, well, a, a relatively robust study that shows that um, if you uh, uh, learn on Duolingo and you get to about halfway down the course, you learn the equivalent of four university semesters of language education, but you learn it in half the time. So that, that's something that we're very proud I of. I think that's terrific. Well, look, I follow, I'm old enough to remember Berlitz. Uh, I also know Rosetta Stone. Those were, I really felt really had no great mode. Uh, they're interesting. And as long as people were uh, felt like they had to go overseas. Maybe they did it. This is the first time I've ever heard it being used as a hobby. People I know are using it as a hobby to learn a language. And I find that staggering. And you must be doing something really great to get people to say, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not doing Candy Crush. I'm not going to watch sports. I'm going to do a little Duolingo. That's how it works, apparently. Yeah, that's something, you know, when we started working on Duolingo early on, we realized that the hardest thing about learning a language by yourself or really learning anything by yourself is staying motivated. So we spent a lot of effort making Duolingo be as fun as possible. And, 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 and you're right. This is, you know, when a lot of our users on Duolingo, particularly in countries like the United States, where, where there's just not that much of a need to learn a language, um, a lot of our users, what they, you know, you ask them, hey, why are you using Duolingo? One of the most common answers is, well, I used to play Candy Crush, wow. uh, but that was a complete waste of my time. And now I'm using Duolingo. It's pretty fun. And at the very least, I'm, you know, learning Spanish or learning French. Uh, so that's, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good fraction of our users here in the United uh, States. Uh, look, this is an astounding story. I've got to tell you, uh, when we heard that you were on, uh, I didn't know many people who knew you. It turned out to be the opposite. I know many people who do Duolingo. They just don't talk about it. But then we, when I heard you were going to the show, the more I asked people, 
people about it, the more I realize they're taking it. And my wife's taking Italian with a tutor, and I am going to go home tonight and say, listen, I love your tutor. Absolutely. But this seems like a much better way. You have a lot of people who probably have done much better with Duolingo than, than with very expensive tutors, I presume. Yeah, I mean, that's what we want to do. Uh, I mean, we really want to get to the point where, where you know, we, we just we're the, the main way to learn a language everywhere. And, and you know, the thing is with, with smartphones, you know, we, we really think the, you know, the way we, we deliver education is through smartphones. It's actually an extremely good method to deliver education. You know, we, we, we currently have 42 million monthly active users. If we wanted to teach languages to 42 million people, we would have to build a lot of schools or have a lot of tutors or something. It would be extremely expensive. The beautiful thing about uh, you know smartphones is that we can deliver all of this relatively cheaply. Now, the right. thing with smartphones, of course, is that uh, at, on in the smartphone there's also TikTok, and then there's also Instagram. So you know, for us to be so good at what we do, we also have to make it so that Duolingo is as enjoyable as you know these other apps like TikTok and well, stuff look, like I that. I think so you're that doing just a fabulous people. job. I am so glad you came on the show. I want to see you again. This is a fascinating story, and I also feel good. Nothing matter with that. A lot of times are tough. When it comes to not be uh, uh, our country being friends with other countries, this could make a great deal of difference. That's Luis Von Ahn. He's the co-founder and CEO of Duolingo, D-U-O-L. Thank you so much, sir, for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jim. This is different. I like it. Yeah, money's back into the break. Coming up, master the unknowns. Be ready for any market. Another edition of Am I Diversified is coming up next. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. the show, just like at the end of every week, I give you my game plan for what to look out for on Wall Street, but it's impossible to know everything that's ahead and <laughs> what could happen that might move the market, particularly move the market down. And that's why it's important to stay diversified. It's why we play Am I Diversified on Mad Money and have since we started 16 years ago. This is where you call me, you tell me your top five holdings, and I tell you if your portfolio is diversified, and maybe you need to mix it up a little. Let's go to Bob in Florida. Bob. Booyah, Jim. It's Bob from Florida, formerly from New Jersey. I know we've spoken a few times. It's been quite a while since we last spoke. I love what you do for us home gamers. And today I'd like to ask, am I diversified? My top five holdings are Shopify, Apple, NVIDIA, Upstart, and Tesla. 
Whoa. Odd things in the back there. All right. Now, this is uh, this gentleman has a very interesting portfolio because you could argue that they're all going to trade together because they're high risk, high reward. But he knows how to. He's a seasoned player. So let's go over what Bob has here. Shopify is a very expensive stock, but it's been expensive since we started liking it. This is a company that really does the back end for a lot of, uh, like Etsy, a lot of people who are finally getting to be empowered by business. I love that. Upstart, here we go. We'll get rid of FICO stores, uh, scores. We've got artificial intelligence to tell you which loans are going to be working and which not. Tesla, uh, how much more can really be said about it? Auto. NVIDIA, they report next week. If I had to buy it, I like I said at the top of the show, I would not necessarily buy it yet. We can wait. And then Apple. Okay, so Apple, NVIDIA, they are both tech, and but one is lower multiple, and one is higher. One is semi, and I. But you could say, Jim, give me a break. This has to go, and you got to buy United Health. I, I get that, but I'm not going to go against what John has, and I'll tell you why. He obviously stays on top of things. He watches the show, and even though he has two techs, I'm going to let it go because I know that he knows that Apple's iconic, and I'm not going to tell him to trade out of it because we're supposed to own Apple, not trade it. Can we go to? Um, that was Bob in Florida. How about Scott? Scott in New York. Scott. Hi, Jim. My name is Scott from New York. I appreciate you having me on the show. My five stocks are NVIDIA, Square, Tesla, CrowdStrike, and Applied Materials. Am I diversified? Man. Holy cow. I got, uh, now I'm encouraging. I know someone's out saying Jim's re- encouraging reckless buying of high-cost, high-priced stocks. But Square, I uh, hope to see them next week. Square is a great payments play, okay? Applied Materials is going to report next week. I think you're going to have a great quarter, particularly as you watch Micron go higher because you need a lot of their materials in order to be able to make semiconductors. CrowdStrike, well, that's Kurtz. You know we think the world of him. We do like Palo Alto reports next week. I like it a little more than CrowdStrike right here. Tesla, how much more is there to be said, as I said last time? And then NVIDIA reports next week, and I, I've been telling people, members of the club, just be careful. I mean, this stock is historically traded down after reports. So we do have a payments processor, tech, tech, tech. Uh, and I better start showing some discipline. We're going to have to trade out of applied materials. Sorry. I love those guys. They're fantastic. But we're going to have to put in, I mean, I, the antidote to this portfolio actually is American Electric Power, believe it or not. And then uh, CrowdStrike, because I like Palo Alto more right now than CrowdStrike, I'm going to replace that with the diversified industrial. What, look, let's do no, diversify healthcare. Let's do the new J&J. That way we've got a dividend and we've got some very good uh, stuff in the pipe. There. Okay, lastly, look, I like playing this game. Lastly, let's, uh, hey, how about a tweet? Uh, Maybe from, say, Local Pro, and it says, at Mad Money on CBC and Kramer, hi, Jim. Thanks in part to your teaching on Mad Money. I'm retired. How could I say that? Here are my largest holdings, and my diversified. Blackstone, U.S. Bank Corp., Realty Income Corp., Ford, and Procter & Gamble. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. All right, so Realty Income is asking me, you know, Matt Horween and I, my writing partner, we actually upgraded that last week as thinking it's just a really good yielder. Proctor, uh, Proctor's so incredibly well-run because it's a product story. Ford has been our large position for the, uh, for the Chapel Trust. You should be following along by this point and be members of the club. If you're not, I don't get you. Uh, Blackstone is a terrific financial. U.S. Bank Corp is a not great financial, frankly. So uh, we've got a REIT. We've got a very good financial that is an asset manager. We've got a terrific diversified uh, industrial or auto company, if you just want to call it that, and a consumer products company. What is this portfolio lacking? 
I think you could say it's lacking a tech company, so we're going to put Apple in there. And then I feel much better. Okay, much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with American Electric Power, which I mentioned earlier as a way to get some yield. Uh, after a recent dividend hike, does the classic utility have what it takes to be in your portfolio? Why don't we check them with the top brass? Then the breakups on Wall Street continue from GE to J&J, and I like these. I'm taking a look at this week's major breakups and sharing if they might be worth Let's say celebrating. And of course, rapid fire all your calls on the lightning round. So stay with Craig. What do you do with the high yield and dividend stocks of the utilities at a time when interest rates are creeping up? creating more competition for the bond market. I think you need to search for utilities that have an extra catalyst, utilities like American Electric Power. Now, here's a company that owns the country's largest power transmission network, along with some big power generation assets. More importantly, they've really begun to make a big move into clean energy. Uh, they're way ahead of the game. AEP is building a huge set of wind farms in Oklahoma. Final phase of the project slated to be finished early next year. Plus, the latest quarter was solid. Management gave you a nice dividend boost. Now you got a 3.8% yield. So could AB, AP be worth buying now? It's got kind of a pullback here, 9 bucks from its August highs. Let's check in with Dick Akins. He's the chairman and CEO of American Electric Power. Get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Akins, welcome back to Mid Money. Hi, Jim. Great to be with you again. Okay, so Nick, let's get right to what seems to be the heart of the point of Wall Street right now. Uh, we have Rivian. We've got uh, Fiskers coming. Lucid, obviously Tesla. Can our grid handle all the cars and vehicles that these companies are are eventually going to make? Well, certainly uh, we can handle it right now, but obviously the planning efforts associated with uh, getting the grid ready is in full motion. We actually are part of an electric grid coalition. We were one of the founding members to take the range anxiety out to put charging stations in place to accommodate all these vehicles. So we'll be ready. Now, everyone keeps saying that the grid... Is, is not in good shape. And I have told people as varied as Elon Musk that you can't talk about the grid. There are some utilities that are very good at keeping up, and there are others that aren't. Is that a fair characterization? Not all grid is created equal. That's true. I think, I think certainly uh, infrastructure in large in this country is, is challenged in some fashion, but, but certainly the electric grid, we focus on the resiliency and reliability of the grid, and many of us are involved in so many ways in terms of ensuring that our customers get the, get the uh, capacity they need uh, when they need it. Now, it is challenged in some fashions because if we make transitions too quickly or if uh, uh, certainly like, like Texas showed, uh, certainly the issues with Storm Uri, uh, there were tremendous impacts on the grid. So we have to be really careful about how we, how we transition toward the future. I was thought it was interesting that Storm Uri actually came up in your conference call. I mean, obviously the, the damage was far more extensive than we realized in the Northeast. Yeah, I think there was, there was certainly uh, issues associated with the grid itself in a portion of Texas. The other portion, though, that, that we're involved with as well was actually the cost uh, for consumers relative to fuel costs. Uh, we actually had periods of time for within a week was essentially the same as the entire fuel budget for the entire year. So, so obviously we're trying to accommodate uh, customers in terms of being able to recover those costs with a longer-term view. But you have to be really careful when these fuel costs spike. Uh, like that in these kind of situations. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're in places like the U.K. where there's really no hope. It's, at least we know that we have it in the ground, but be, because of different regimes, we can't pull it out or we can't pipe it. Now, you had a, a really good page, and this is uh, 
uh, where you just gave some facts and figures about the consumer, uh, residential, industrial. It seems like everything's coming back. Some things are now back to above where they were pre-pandemic. Give me the state of play, how you see things, because you've got aggregate figures here, but maybe there's some areas that are really booming. Yeah, you know, we benefit in our service territory with, with certainly with oil and gas prices up. On the one hand, it increases costs for consumers. On the other hand, uh, producers and others in the oil and gas industry continue to pick up as well. But also industrial activity continues to grow. There's no question about it. And, and I think it's maybe some of it's catch up in terms of uh, the, the downturn that occurred uh, during mo- much of the COVID uh, activities, but, but certainly we see that continuing to grow. And on the residential side, there's still a work from home environment. So uh, we're benefiting from uh, the continued residential output, uh, but the same industrial is going up and commercial is starting to pick back up. So uh, really it's, it's sort of a, a, all three planets are starting to align in so, in so many ways at this point. Um, now, you are still uh, probably one of the most active in terms of, of renewables. Uh, you're talking about now over 16 gigawatts of new renewables. Uh, where's the country and where is American electric power versus the country when it comes to renewables? Yeah, so certainly uh, it varies on what part of the country. Uh, certainly if you had higher costs to begin with, a lot easier to bring in renewables. Although now, today, with where technology is going, the benefits of renewables are certainly there if done in the right way. So our 16 gigawatts of, of, um, of new renewables in place in the plan before 2030, much of that's before 2025, uh, that really is layering in renewables to lower the emissions output but still have the fossil generation in place at the time you need it, like the dead of winter. Uh, for example, where you need that capacity to serve customers' demand. So we can, we can achieve both objectives, but do it in a way to make that transition. And from a renewable standpoint, there is no question that we're at the, lead, at the front edge of a massive change-out and transformation, not only at AEP, but in the industry as well. Can you tell me whether our country... Now, let me back up. In Germany, they try to do a lot of stuff involving renewables. Uh, so they do solar, wind. But a lot of the country's dark. I mean, they have like 23% of the sunlight that we have. Are we sometimes fooling ourselves with renewables that they just don't work because of the, of, of the weather? Well, certainly there has to be, you have to be mindful of, of the resources and the limitations associated with it. So it is intermittent supply. So when the solar is not, uh, when the sun's not shining or when the wind's not blowing, uh, certainly you have issues with that. So you have to be really careful. And that's why all of these resources are actually needed. And we need to be very mindful of how we use those resources. Typically in the dead of winter in the northeastern United States uh, and the Midwest, uh, you're looking at mainly uh, 30% coal, 30% nuclear, 30% natural gas, and, and less than 5% uh, on renewables. But that doesn't mean you can't start layering in the renewables from an energy standpoint, but still serve that capacity. So we have to be very, like I said, we have to be very mindful of that transition and use these resources in the right way. Uh, one last question for those who own it and, and uh, thinking about the dividend when they see a Kentucky disposal. Impact, impact on, uh, on dividend, impact on what you're up to? Yeah, so uh, Kentucky was one of the underperforming jurisdictions for us, uh, and certainly uh, from a from a uh, res- uh, from a portfolio management perspective, we want to make sure that if we're putting in 16 gigawatts of new renewables and 
having the largest transmission system in the country, which is going to be benefiting from that movement to a clean energy economy. We've got to make sure we focus our financial resources toward those kinds of investments. So we'll have to go through portfolio management to ensure that we're making the right decisions relative to that uh, deployment of capital. Well, look, I, I just think you're doing a terrific job. And I want everyone to understand that you can't just flick a switch and just be all renewable. It just doesn't work. But you have companies uh, and you have people like Nick Akins doing the absolute best to get us there. Nick, great to see you again on Mad Money. Thank you. Okay, that's Nick Akins, Chairman, President, and CEO of AP Long, our favorite utility for its consistent dividend and strong management team. Mad Money's back at the break. Coming up, Kramer answers the call. A very special salute to service lightning round is next. It is time. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Good afternoon, sir, and how are you? I am good, thank you. How about you? Thank you very much, sincerely, for all you do for us. Thank you. Uh, The stock I'm calling about is Blackstone, ticker BX. All right, now we know Blackstone's had a giant run. You can actually say it's been 100 points of recommending the stock, but you know what? They're a very good company. I think you can go even higher still. Michael in Maine, Michael. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Michael. ABCL has been kicking me in the pants at 67 all the way down. I can't show my face. It's a Canadian speculative stock. It's got all the buzzwords of a great biotech. I ain't playing. Sorry. Andrew in Rhode Island. Andrew. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm good, Andrew. How about you? Doing great. Living the dream. There you go. Yeah, yeah. All right. While we're at it, let's take a stock while we're dreaming here. All right, sounds good. Well, I'd love to hear your take on Neo, what we're looking at these days. Uh, we don't need Neo. We've got uh, Tesla. We've got Rivian. We've got Fisker. And we've got Lucid. You name your poison. We don't need to go overseas. Let's go to Tim in Texas. Tim. Hey, Booyah, Jim. This is Tim, 32-year retired veteran. Great to hear from you. Hey, thank you for you your service. Place. Wow, it's a long time. Thank you. Hey, artillery all the way. Jim, I'm looking for long-term investment of the stock EVGO, EVGO. Okay. Uh, this is a, a tough electrical one. vehicles out there. I know, but Tim, this is a tough one. I'll tell you why it's a tough one. Let's be very clear about it. All these stocks have just had another major run-up, just a huge run-up. And when we've gotten involved in these after the runs, it has always crushed us. I don't think this time will be any different. Let's go to Brian in Florida. Brian... Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I'm looking for a recovery play, and HT caught my eyes. What do you think? No, I didn't like the way they did their big refinance. I don't. I want to stay away. That one has had a major, major run from the bottom. Uh, it's just not a great one. I mean, look, the recovery one, do uh, letter O. I think letter O might be better for you as a, as a recovery play, and it's got a 4% yield. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, hot, hot, hike. Make sense of the day's most critical market machinations in no time flat. Stick with Kramer for a special no huddle next. 
Monday, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. You still work 80 to 100 hours back a week. I did. I was up at 3.30 today. Yeah, it was a good day to be up at 3.30. I didn't know. Right at that very moment, there was really nothing other than um, sundial reporting the quarter. <laughs> it all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. When you break up an iconic company, you do so for a reason. Because you think the parts are worth more than the whole. When I see the managers of both General Electric and Johnson Johnson, two of the most iconic companies in the firmament, committing to breakups, it makes a ton of sense to me. I know Wall Street's not giving these companies their due, and the CEOs, they want to do something about it, and they can. In the case of GE, I can't stand how its fabulous aerospace business, constantly overshadowed by the slower growth of the healthcare division and the, let's say, inconsistent growth of the power division. To me, they have nothing to do with each other. I want aerospace, but I don't want the others. It's very clear that the separate parts can get a higher valuation as pure players rather than parts of an unwieldy conglomerate. But the J&J separation, well, this one truly excites me, especially since the stock detects to nothing on the news. The decision to separate J&J's terrific, fast-growing pharma business, one of the fastest there is, look at that, people realize, people overpaid here, but these people are getting a bargain. Uh, they separated from the slower-growth consumer packaged goods business. Uh, be, well, it had me reminiscing. It had me reminiscing of a, of another situation like this, another breakup, breakup of Abbott Labs. That one broke into two companies a decade ago, Abbott Labs. Abbott kept its legacy medical device business, then spun off AbbVie as a slower-growing drug company with some terrific franchises. At the time of the breakup, Abbott's stock was worth $81, uh, $81 billion. Now Abbott alone is worth $227 billion. And AbbVie's worth $207 billion for a total of $434 billion. Now, that is the kind of value creation that you and I must be on the hunt for all the time. Now, much of, the, uh, much of what happened there came down to execution. Miles White, the retired CEO of Abbott, performed brilliantly. Even when he retired, he chose excellent people to run both Abbott and AbbVie. Abbott's a fast grower with a smallish dividend, while AbbVie's got an outsized dividend and a little slower growth pile. They're both attractive. Own them both for the trust. We write about them all the time if you're a member of the club. The J&J breakup is uh, in some ways similar. you got a pure play pharma business that grows very fast. And then you got the group of uh, popular over-the-counter brands, uh, whether it be uh, Tylenol or Zyrtec or Benadryl or Neutrogena. I mean, I, I think alone today I've taken everything on this wall. Every single one of them. Um, yeah, I mean, between this and that, well, probably too much graphic. Just Check. Anyway, when you ask people about J&J's pharma business, mostly, most don't even know that they have a superior organic growth that often breaches 10%. That's remarkable. It's an old company. They've got solid eye care, heart disease, cancer franchises, well as an excellent medical device business that accounts for 35% of their sales. That's now growing much better since the pandemic is winding down. Now, when I saw these breakdowns, the first thing I said to myself was, why do they have to do this? What's the point? Hey, J&J is a terrific company on its own. But I also know that the farm and consumer products divisions have very little to do with each other at this point. Sure, they've got more in common than GE's cats and dog collection. But there's no real reason to keep these under the same roof. Plus, like GE's aerospace business, J&J's farm business simply isn't getting its due because it's buried within a larger company. Now, my colleague David Faber reminded me that I'm always pointing out the consistently high price earnings multiples people pay for the well-known but slower growth packaged goods stocks. And isn't that good? And I come back and say, hey, look, the portfolio managers who cover J&J want the more dynamic drug business. They really don't have any interest in owning consumer packaged goods. But look at the who follow it, they're not interested in this stuff. But let me put it another way. There's a constituency for a consumer packaged goods company company uh, stock, and then there's a constituency for a drug company with a medical device kicker. 
But there's much less demand for a David Cronenberg-style combination of the two. Split off the -the over-the-counter business, and it can get some love from people who like Procter & Gamble or Colgate. Then maybe it can merge with somebody else or continue to take share. Uh, As for the J&J drug business, I think it's a standalone value, this piece for itself, and it would be worth much more. Ultimately, one of the reasons I love this business is because there are CEOs who work tirelessly to create value for you. Larry Culp from GE and Alex Gorski from J&J, the latter retiring, are two of of a kind. They're not satisfied with how much they've rewarded their shareholders. So now they're going above and beyond and taking the matter into their own hands. I think both stocks are buys. The only reason we don't buy GE for the Chapel Trust is that we already have Boeing for aerospace exposure. As for J&J, considered in the bullpen, which means that we're going to be debating owning the stock at some point when a position opens up for the trust. And thanks to this breakup, you're getting not one but two fabulous companies over the course of maybe the next 18 months. It's worth the wait. I like what these people are doing. And I also like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday from San Francisco. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.